good afternoon. Um, as Pastor Steve mentioned, yeah, we had a good time yesterday down in Ballarat supporting the Springfest uh, or outreaching was particularly uh, yesterday and then the uh, communion meeting they had uh, last night as well. Um, so they had a theme throughout uh, the weekend and of course they're probably busy outreaching right now as well. The theme there was uh, Never Thirst Again. They had some t-shirts made up and all that sort of stuff. They actually had some, I think they've got some water bottles today with like the little logo Never Thirst Again just to um, sort of get the message across to people as they're, they're outreaching at the stall they've got uh, at the Springfest market. So it was really, uh, really good. And talking about the uh, the spiritual drought that we have in society today. So um, I'm continuing on with that theme and, and talking about this today, about this uh, concept that Jesus spoke about of never having to thirst again. Starting off with um, maybe just uh, thinking about natural dehydration. And some of us maybe have... <coughs> experienced this or maybe seen the effects of dehydration in other people um a couple of situations that i've i've uh, been around one one guy uh, on a on a construction site once uh driving operating a bobcat and uh hot day bobcats tend to have pretty poor air conditioning and you know lots of windows and that sort of stuff and he uh he just completely overheated and got to the point where he passed out while operating this machine um, another guy um, at a wedding once that we were at um, was one of the groomsmen standing up in the full sun, obviously hadn't had enough to eat or drink that day. And midway through this ceremony, he just falls over backwards, just drops to the floor. Quite a tall guy as well. Um, just because really he hadn't recognised the signs of starting to get dehydrated. Had, hadn't prepared himself for, for standing up in the sun uh, on a warm day. So just looking at some of the natural symptoms of um, dehydration can start with increased thirst, a dry mouth, being tired or sleepy, getting a headache, getting dry skin, dizziness. And then as things get more severe, uh, that dizziness or lightheadedness can um, not allow the person to stand or walk normally. Blood pressure drops when the person tries to stand up after lying down. You can get a rapid heart rate, you can get fever, uh, um, you can feel lethargic, you can get, have confusion, even end up in a coma, have seizures, uh, go into shock. And of course, we know if things get bad enough and things aren't treated, people can die from dehydration, of course. And so in the Bible, we see uh, thirst is spoken about, hungering and thirsting is spoken about quite a bit, not so much from a natural sense, but from a spiritual sense. And actually, Kira's testimony, not that she planned this, but um, tied in really well with the talk, didn't it, where you can see that she has this real hunger and thirst uh, to be at the meetings, to be involved in the things of the Lord, and uh, can feel the effects, can feel the symptoms of, in, in her situation, it's of course been the, ro the uh, work roster, keeping her, her away from the nourishment that she really wants to be a part of. You know, so thanks for lining that up so well, Kira. I know you didn't plan on it. Um, just wanted to, uh, I'm going to quote a few scriptures, but um, talking about dehydration, um, as we look into a few of the scriptures, and of course, as we know a bit about crucifixion and the, the horrible death that Jesus went through, it really would appear that Jesus, uh, during the leading up to the crucifixion, of course, would have been really quite dehydrated. Just to pick out a few, first of all, prophecies. If you're quick in your Bibles, you can go to these, but I'm reading from Psalm 22, 
verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joints. My heart is like wax and it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. That word means a, a broken uh, piece of pottery, broken piece of clay. And my tongue cleaves or clings to my jaws. So you get this um, thirsty kind of uh, a picture in, in your mind. And you have brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. So one of the really well-known prophecies about uh, the death that Jesus Christ would go through, and it, part of it is that it starts to build this picture of being quite destitute, being thirsty, really struggling here. In Psalm 69, Verse, verse, starting in verse 19, you have known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before thee. Reproach has broken my heart and I'm full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. We're going to pick pick this up in the New Testament where there is the fulfillment of this prophecy. So, so long ago, uh, as we know, there's very specific details about Jesus Christ and we're particularly looking at the death, uh, the persecution and the death that he would go through. And it's mentioned there in his thirst that he was given vinegar to drink. Now, let's, let's turn to John chapter 19. So uh, John's record here of, of uh, the crucifixion of Jesus and uh, towards the end of it here, we're picking it up in verse 28. So John 19 and verse 28. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon a hyssop and put it to his mouth. Now, as we look into that word there, vinegar, it's talking about a sour wine, which may have been mixed uh, with water as well, which uh, in the Strong's Concordance, it talks about uh, the Roman soldiers were accustomed uh, to drinking this. Now, uh, the hyssop is uh, basically a reed. So you can imagine a sponge filled up with this vinegar, put on the end of a reed and lifted up to the mouth of Jesus as he's hanging upon the cross. Verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Uh, so that's that uh, prophecy we read there in Psalm 69. They gave in his thirst, they gave him vinegar to drink was fulfilled here, um, as we read about in John chapter 19. Now, this um giving of the vinegar to me as you look at some of the other scriptures it, it actually ties in with a few because previous to this uh the, the the soldiers had mixed up vinegar and gall and offered it to jesus and when he tasted it he rejected it and uh there's another scripture in luke 23 verses starting in verse 35 which said the people stood beholding and the rulers also with them derided him saying he saved others let him save himself 
if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, if, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. So Jesus on the cross here, as he's given this vinegar, I don't particularly see it as sort of an act of mercy, tying it in with the other scriptures where they were mocking him as they were offering this, this vinegar. So you can imagine it's probably not exactly what you were after in, your, in the desperation that he was in, thirsting, that a cool drink of water maybe would have been uh, an act of mercy, and yet it was something that was sour, something that was bitter that was offered, and it was offered by mankind. And often when we're talking about a spiritual thirst, we're not going to get what we need through mankind, through society, through the world around us. We have to find a source of what is really going to quench our thirst. Let's go to Exodus chapter 15. We're going to look at a few stories in the Old Testament that really tie in with this, uh, this theme. Exodus chapter 15. Yep. Exodus 15, and we're starting in verse 23. So this is pretty well immediately after the children of Israel had been delivered out of uh, Egypt, had the incredible miracle of being, um, you know, the, the Red Sea being parted, them walking through, and then the sea uh, caving in on the Egyptians behind them. At the start of this chapter, we read about them singing to the Lord in triumph. And yet, so quickly, after all these incredible miracles that they've seen, we get to this point in verse 23. Uh, I'll read read verse 22, sorry. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved or tested them. And he said, If thou will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. So just going back a bit, as they come to this place called Mara, and you can imagine three days in the desert without water, they're starting to get thirsty they're starting to complain to Moses what's going on here you've brought us out into the desert we're just going to die of thirst um, and uh, and you get to this place and there's water there and you'd think great you know we're we're going to be okay and you go to drink the water and it's it's bitter it's not drinkable it's not something that's going to uh, quench your thirst and this fairly unusual thing that the Lord uh, gives them to do, that they cut down a tree, throw this particular tree into the water, and the water is made sweet. Now, we see this as a type or an an example of Jesus Christ. And there's maybe a couple of ways you can look at it. Uh, We won't go into it too much, but in in, um, a number of places, I think at least six different places in, in the Old Testament, Jesus is referred to as the branch. 
But another point is the fact that um, Jesus, as we were talking about, you know, the bitterness of his death and that he actually uh, became a curse for us. And we read about it in, in Galatians 3. I'll quote this one as well for time. Galatians 3 verses 13 and 14 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. So you can start to see how we're building this picture of the fact that Jesus actually went through this bitterness of death. And even at the very end there, he was offered something bitter, something sour. And uh, Jesus, figuratively speaking, was he was cut down. Um, he was felled like a tree. And uh, you can see this example in the Old Testament where the tree that's been cut down is thrown into the waters and the waters are made sweet. The waters are made something that's going to sustain life that's going to quench thirst, that's going to keep the people going. And that is exactly the story in our life, isn't it? That Jesus Christ, he's been through the bitterness, he's been cut down, and he's given us this opportunity to have our thirst quenched. As I was reading in there in Galatians 3, through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's the, that's the sweetness in our life, isn't it? That's what quenches our thirst. We'll read another one in a couple of chapters further on. Exodus chapter 17. And uh, in verse 1 here. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, which means uh, a, a place of rest, according, uh, sorry, and there was no water for the people to drink. So we're coming to a similar sort of situation here. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and say, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that brought thou sorry, wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? You know, um, you can see this pattern here where they they don't seem to pick up on the fact that, you know, we've been through difficult situations in the past and the Lord's got us through. And, you know, at the, at the last moment, you know, standing on the edge of the Red Sea, there's no way we're just going to die here. And yet the Lord provides a way, opens up the sea, an incredible miracle. The Lord's already ch turned the bitter water into sweet that they could drink in the past. And yet they still get to these situations where they're thirsting and they're thinking, they're throwing their hands up in the air. You've called us out here to die. So they're not really remembering, hang on, we just need to seek the Lord. The Lord can get us out of the situation. Uh, verse 4, Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me, to kill me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thy hand and go. Behold, I'll stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. And the people 
that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So in this situation, again, a pretty unusual instruction from God, go up to this rock, hit it with your rod, and water is going to come out of the rock. And, uh, and that is how the, the, the children of Israel were delivered in this situation. And again, we see an example of Jesus Christ. Um, we'll skip, let's, uh, how quick are we? Yeah, we'll skip forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where we, where we see this uh, situation mentioned. First Corinthians 10, reading from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not have you, uh, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So we're talking about the Exodus, the deliverance out of Egypt. And they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat that same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. That rock was Jesus Christ. So that rock in the desert there, and the word Horeb, we read about them, you know, the rock at Horeb means desert. Um, a type or an example of Jesus Christ. That through Jesus Christ, again, this water would become available that the people could live, that would sustain the people. So the rock was struck with the rod. And, uh, of course, we know that Christ, Jesus Christ, was smitten. He was, he was struck, really, as he was um, beaten at, leading up to his death upon the cross. And then at the end there, um, in, uh, in John chapter 19, we can read about this. It, it says in verse 34, One of the soldiers with a spear, so this is Jesus hanging on the cross, pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. So as Jesus is upon the cross, after he had died, um, a soldier pierces his side with a spear, and blood and water comes out. And then, it, and then John, as he's, he's recording this, says, He that saw it, their record, and his record is true. And he knows that he, that he saith true, that you might believe. So after John makes this record of, this soldier piercing the side of Jesus and this blood and water coming out, he sort of makes this statement, you know, I saw it, I was there, I'm bearing record, this is truth, this is what occurred, just to really make it quite clear there for us. Uh, an interesting point there that this blood and water would come, and we know through the scriptures, blood representing forgiveness, the remission of sins. And the water, as we're reading about in these scriptures, re representing new life, sustaining life. Throughout the Exodus stories that we've been reading, this water sustained life, whether it was the water that became, the bitter water that became sweet, or the, uh, the water that came out of the rock, it gave life to the people. It, it, it kept them sustained. It gave them what they needed. And so through Jesus Christ, we've been given what we need. We've been given forgiveness of sins, remission of sins, and we've been given a new life. We've been given this ability to walk on in the ways of the Lord. Um, how are we going for time? Not too bad. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 20. 
going to pick up a third story about the um, children of Israel thirsting here. Some time later now, so Numbers chapter 20 and verse 1. Give me a moment to get there. I think everyone is just about there. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, unto the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam, uh, the sister of Mo- uh, Moses and Aaron, died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spoke, uh, spoke, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. We can see it's a real pattern here with their attitude, can't we? Um, certainly not particularly quick learners. Uh, and why, verse 4, why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation And they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and pick up on the difference here in in God's instruction, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So shall, uh, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. So notice the difference there that on this occasion, God has said, go to the rock and speak to the rock and the rock will give forth water. That was God's instruction. Uh, verse 9, Moses took the rod before the Lord as he commanded him and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock and he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod he smote the rock twice and the water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their beasts also. So again, the water comes out of the rock But can you see the difference in what Moses did compared to what he was instructed to do? God said, speak to the rock. And Moses, maybe going back to what had already happened, decided, I'm going to hit the rock. And just to make sure, I'm going to hit it twice. (laughs) Just just to make sure that the water is going to come out. And uh, we see the the Lord's response here that he's disappointed that his instructions were not followed. The Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the land, sorry, this is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord and he was sanctified in them. So uh, the Lord punishes them because they didn't do it the way that he had asked. So interestingly, that the the rock was smitten was hit once at the start there as we read in that that earlier story and that was the way god had intended to intended it to be beyond that 
he just asked Moses to speak to the rock. So we know Jesus Christ was struck down, was cut down just once. And through that, we've received our salvation. And we should never doubt that salvation that has already occurred, you know, that we have received. And when we thirst, we just speak to the rock. We just speak to Jesus Christ. And he's given us a way to speak to him. We speak through the Holy Spirit. We've given, been given this brand new language, this prayer language to God that we can use. So we don't have to be without water. We don't have to be thirsty and starving and wasting away in this life because it's like being at home and just being able to walk up and turn the tap on, you know, and Pastor Steve in his trips to Africa probably comes across situations where they've got a very different life when they're, when they're thirsting. It's not a matter of just, you know, walking over to the kitchen sink and turning the tap on. They've got to go to perhaps some, quite some effort to get water. It's uh, in, in some of the, the, uh, the areas, some of the countries that he goes to, the lack of water is a really desperate situation. Spiritually speaking, it's like a tap for us, that we can just walk up, turn on the tap. We can quench our thirst as we pray to the Lord in the Spirit, as we speak to the rock, as we speak to our Lord, as we speak to Jesus Christ, we can have our thirst quenched. That's the instruction that we've had from the Lord. Once the rock was struck, water came out of the rock. That's happened. Jesus Christ has been sacrificed once and for all. And now we just need to speak to the rock. And that's how we get our thirst quenched. John chapter 4. We're moving into the... um, Well, John chapter 4 is actually the theme scripture of, uh, of the outreaching down in Ballarat. Uh, over this weekend, uh, I might uh, paraphrase uh, some of it as, as Jesus here on his travels uh, goes through Samaria. Pastor uh, Pastor Rob actually spoke about this last night and the fact that in um, in modern day language we use the term you know the good Samaritan and we consider a good Samaritan to be of course a good a good person um, and many people if you ask them you know what a Samaritan is they'd probably say I must be someone good but in Jesus day the Samaritans were not in any way considered good you know they were sort of rejected by the Jewish society the Jews had nothing to do with them wouldn't deal with them wouldn't speak to them which is why Jesus actually used a Samaritan in his parable which we know of as the good Samaritan um and uh yeah because the other Jews wouldn't have expected that any Samaritan could be good and yet it's a Samaritan that Jesus in, in John chapter 4 here uh, speaks to. Uh, I might pick it up in verse 6. Uh, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So it was about uh, midday. And there, came, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So this simple statement is made, you know, can you, can you give me a drink? And she's like, whoa, what are you even doing talking to me? This is not something that happens in our society. It completely does not happen in our society. 
Um, Jesus, in verse 10, answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? This is a little bit of a similar reaction to the previous chapter, John chapter 3, with Nicodemus being told you must be born again. And he says, how can can a man be born when he's old? So he he sort of thinks naturally. What do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. How can you go the second time into your mother's womb and be born? And this woman as well, as, as, as Jesus is talking about this living water, again, she's thinking naturally. But what are you talking about? The well's so deep, you've got, you've clearly got nothing to get the water out with. How are you going to get this living water that you're talking about? Um, verse 13, and, and uh, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Um, So here Jesus, and he does this many times, particularly through the book of John, talking about this living water that we get through the Holy Spirit. Um, We might skip down a little bit to uh, verse 23, when Jesus starts to further build the picture here. It says, the hour comes and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is the spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So often as Jesus is providing these illustrations, he's kind of giving people these uh, natural things that they know about so they can build the understanding, build the picture of the Holy Spirit, because that's really the point he's trying to get to. Let's get, skip over to John chapter 7. So we've read there about this, you know, this living water that when we receive it, we never have to thirst again, which, is, as I said, is the, was a the theme there of the outreaching in Ballarat. John chapter 7 and verse 37 here. In the last day that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So this like many of the statements that Jesus made, wouldn't have made much sense to the people around at the time. So you can imagine being at this this feast, up stands Jesus, says, if any man thirst, let him give, come to me and drink. And the people in the room would have taken that naturally, like, you know, okay, is he going to offer us, is he going to offer us all a free drink? You know, did he shout or something like that? That's the way they would have been thinking. And, uh, then he makes this statement, out of his belly shall flow, those that believe on him, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then maybe people might have been starting to pick up, okay, maybe he's, he's, he must be talking about something a bit more than a, a normal drink. Um, 
And we, thankfully, we've got this really clear clarification in verse 39. So we don't have to debate or question what this scripture is talking about, what Jesus is talking about. It's spelled out for us. He spoke of the spirit, which those that believe on him would receive. And then it clarifies as well that the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So at this time, what Jesus was talking about was something that was yet to come. But for us, we know that this is something that is present, something that is current, something that we have received in our lives as we receive the Holy Spirit, as we receive this uh, this well of living water dwelling within us through the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to thirst. Remember at the start we spoke about the natural signs of dehydration and often people ignore those signs and then they you know things get worse and they get into trouble if we're spiritually thirsty we need to very quickly pick up on the signs pick up on the symptoms because we know what we what we know what we have to do in those times we know when we're thirsty what we have to do that we have this source of living water dwelling inside of us that we don't have to get dehydrated to use that example we don't have to get to a situation where things get desperate we just need to turn on the tap. We just need to go and grab a glass of water. We just need to sit down, pray in the Spirit. We just need to look into the Word of God. We just need to be nourished and built up and strengthened by the things that God has made available to us through His Holy Spirit. There's nothing lacking in any of us. So when Jesus is talking about the fact that we will never thirst again, that's because He's given us absolutely everything we need to never be in a, a spiritually destitute or spiritually desperate situation. It's all on hand. It's all provided for us. We still will have days, and I think, as I said, Kira's testimony led into this perfectly, where we can we can feel our spiritual thirst start to build. That's a, that's a good thing to recognise. That's those symptoms um, that we recognise. The important thing is that we take action upon those symptoms, isn't it? That we don't leave things until we're in a spiritual coma until we're having spiritual seizures or we're in shock or anything like that. But we recognise the early signs. Oh, actually, I'm, I'm a little bit thirsty. Oh, I've got a little bit of a headache. I need to go and grab a drink. And I need to sort this out now. This is the things that we recognise in our lives. Um, let's just quickly skip to... Uh, we'll go to Acts chapter 2. We read, a, we read the scripture there, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit and that clarification that at the time Jesus was talking there, it had not yet come. It had not yet been made available. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse... Uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like the rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the holy ghost and began to speak with other tongues they were filled up like a, a vessel that was filled up with the holy ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance down a little bit further so this is the outpouring of this holy spirit this is the fulfillment of of what Jesus had been talking about in so many different places that we have read and could read 
uh, as Jesus was building that picture of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll skip down a bit as, as, as people around, there's a bit of confusion about what's happening. There's mixed reactions. Some people say this is from God. Some people say these guys must be drunk. Um, very mixed uh, points of view and opinions on, on this Holy Spirit being poured out. And we know it's Peter that, that stands up and he clarifies, explains the situation. This is what the prophets said that would happen. He speaks about King David, someone very well known to the, the people he was speaking to. And he gets on to speaking about Jesus Christ and saying, you've crucified him. You've put him through the bitterness of death. You've cut him down. And yet through him, this Holy Spirit has been made available. This living water has been made available. Uh, verse 33, uh, 32 then this Jesus, as God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. So there was something very evident for these people that had received the Holy Spirit. Um, verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus who you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So they recognized their error, even though it was a part of God's plan on an individual basis for them that were there, it was a, a mistake. Um, and they were pricked in their heart, their conscience was pricked, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? This was, where, this was their repentance. This was them recognizing that they needed to do something to make things right again. And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So this picture that Jesus has been building comes up to this point, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit poured out like water and uh, this clarification through, through Peter, this instruction that we read, that this is what we all need to do and have done in, in uh, many of our lives here today, that we, through this, have this living water available that we don't have to go thirsty, we're no longer destitute, we're no longer on our own. We're not in a desert, but we've got, well, spiritually speaking out here, I guess we are in a desert, but for us as God's people, we just need to speak to the rock and the water's going to be come forward to us, come forth to us, and we can drink and have our thirst quenched. And all the people said, 